0: Hey, Water's Edge family, all you tuning in there at Central, up in Holland, um, TLC in Grand Rapids, Overflow in Benton Harbor, and my one and only Zeal family down in Kingston, Jamaica. My name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors with the Water's Edge Network. If you didn't know, all those churches I just listed are a part of a family of churches and campuses that love God, love Jesus, and love planning and supporting churches that do the same. And we're a part of this network and this family. And so I just wanted to welcome you. Um, One of my main roles with this network, with this family, is I get to teach and preach. And another role I have is getting to help oversee and partner with all of our international campuses and churches. And for those of you that know, I just want to give you an update of some good news. Pastor Sandy over in Bogor, Indonesia, Pastor Pana in Cambodia, and Pastor Peter there in Kiev, um, Ukraine at Transformation Church, they all send their Love and regards. So far, so good. Them and their stabs are healthy and sound. But please keep them and us down in Kingston, Jamaica, in. Your prayers as we all walk through this time together. And we're lifting each and every one of your campuses up. And it's my honor and privilege to bring a message to you today, this Palm Sunday, as we all kind of collide together in our different series. There at Zeal, we are in a series called Royalty, studying the kingdom of God. There at TLC, I know you're in a series called Words That Perform, studying the Apostles' Creed. And today is the Sunday where we talk about the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we're going to jump right into the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King in the kingdom of God, and how one day out of his entire ministry, he was finally treated as a king. And so today my message title is simply that, King for a Day. If you have a Bible, we're going to jump right in. The bulk of our passage is going to be in Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter what? 21. Yeah, I know though you're there in your living room watching on your iPhone computer and your TV I'm so grateful by the way for all of you that are tuning in across all of our churches and campuses But I would encourage you to engage And it may feel a little funny there in your living room to be like 21 But I guarantee you the more we engage with God's word the more God's spirit will engage with our souls So Matthew chapter what? 21. Yeah, good job. So as you turn there, I do have a question for you to kick off our time together before we jump into that passage. And my question is, what makes you angry? I know some of us are like, I don't get angry. I'm a good Christian. I never get angry. Um, By the way, we are allowed to get angry as Christians, but the Bible says in our anger, do not sin. Uh, Certain things should make us angry. And we'll jump to that in a second. But let me take it down a notch. What frustrates you? Maybe what's something that irritates you? Um, hey, here, here's the deal. turn to the person next to you. If there's someone next to you, and let them know. Tell them your number one pet peeve. One, two, three, go. Hopefully, you didn't say you. You're my pet peeve. You're, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We all love each other. Peace. Yay. Yeah, I know. For me, um, some of my pet peeves. I remember when I was a little kid, and I didn't understand something. I, it would always frustrate me like crazy. Like my grandmother used to do needlepoint, and I'd look up at her, and I'd be like, "What in the world are you doing? It wouldn't make any sense." All the yarn and fri- fringe hanging down. Um, mouth noises. Oh, a pet peeve of mine. I can't stand mouth noises. When people smack when they're eating, I. Oh, I can't stand it. Um, how about this one? When you text somebody and they don't respond, that, that that's not that doesn't frustrate me. I don't mind if people are busy and they don't respond. But when I text someone and they don't respond and like. 30 minutes has gone by and then I open up Instagram and I see that they had posted on Instagram after I sent them a text. And I'm like, Oh, so you got time to post on social media, but not respond. Sorry. Whew, I need to repent. need to calm down. <laughs> Suffice it to say there are a lot of things that can frustrate, irritate us, or maybe even anger us. And some of us may be surprised to learn that on Palm Sunday, The day where Jesus was finally treated like the king he deserved to be, he actually got angry. Now, for for many of us that didn't grow up in church, maybe you're tuning in, you don't speak Christianese, and I'm saying Palm Sunday, and you're like, yeah, I totally know what that is. No, I don't. It's okay. We all are learning together. Palm Sunday was a few days before Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. It, It was his entry into the holy city, Jerusalem, knowing he knew he was going to die on a cross, but the crowds did not. And it's called Palm Sunday because as he went down the road, the, the people put their coats and palm fronds on the road to praise him as the king. Hence where we get Palm Sunday. And on this day where he was treated as king, Jesus got angry. Now, a lot of us don't picture Jesus as an angry guy. I mean, most of us, we've probably seen paintings of Jesus where he's got like a shepherd staff and a little lamb around his neck and a blue sash and he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. And I hate to tell you, that's not what he looked like. Jesus was not a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He shepherds us. He's our head pastor. But he was not a shepherd. He didn't walk around with a staff. That wasn't his flow. That's not how he rolled. And Jesus was the son of a carpenter, meaning he probably grew up doing carpentry, meaning he probably was cutting down trees and, and shaving wood and framing houses and building furniture. Suffice it to say, Jesus was probably jacked because he did all this in the hot Middle Eastern sun before air conditioning existed, walking everywhere. He was a fit dude. And I make that point to say the two times Jesus actually got angry, they both actually happened in the house of God and their equivalent of the church, the synagogue, the temple. And both times it was for the same reason. He walked in the temple and one of which times was on Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. He walked in the temple and there were people setting up with tables, selling offerings and sacrifices. They were called like money changers. And he got so angry at this. Jesus grabbed these tables full of stuff and he flipped them over in anger and flipped over the chairs and he ran out these grown men. The first time he did it, it said he made, he made a whip himself and went and whipped these men. All that to say Jesus was not a pacifist. <laughs> Far from it. He believed in peace and he promoted peace, but one thing in particular angered Jesus. Not people selling things in the temple. Like, it doesn't mean we can't sell t-shirts and coffee and books in church. That's okay. What, what angered him was people scamming people. See, see what, what they would do is, Poor people would make the pilgrimage. They would come from all over to offer sacrifices at the temple. And by offering a sacrifice, they were able to be cleansed and get right with God. And so they would show up and these men in the outer courts would say, sorry, that sacrifice isn't good enough. Because a lot of these people were poor and they would bring like a pigeon or a dove and they would say, sorry, that's not good enough. But you can purchase one of our sacrifices, which are good enough for a premium price. And so they were scamming people. Ultimately, they were keeping people from God and anytime people put up barriers to God that aren't there that angers Jesus and sometimes we do that today too. Sometimes people walk into our churches and our gatherings all over the world, and because they're not dressed a certain way, maybe they come in smelling like marijuana or tobacco or alcohol. Maybe they come in looking a certain way or speaking a certain way, and we may not say it outright, but with our looks and our distance, we let them know you're not welcome here. Ultimately, we put up barriers and one of the things I love about the Water's Edge Network and all of our churches is we're all about tearing down every wall, every barrier we can to bring the message of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone we can. That's a lot of the reason why we're using technology in this crazy time, because we use technologies to support our theology. And just because we can't meet in brick and mortar buildings doesn't mean we're not going to meet together and bring the message of Jesus through any barrier to you right there watching today. Because we want to be on Jesus' good side because we believe in him and his message. And so Jesus gets angry when when people put up barriers to, to him. And, and so on this day where he was treated as a king, where they were shouting out his praises, he gets angry and flips over tables. And, and, and then the Bible says... Right there in Matthew 21, verse 13, as he entered the temple, they sold and bought and he overturned those tables. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it of den of robbers. Again, emphasizing that he wants us to be in communication with him and his presence. And rather people were stealing that opportunity for people. He doesn't play with that. But on that same day, it says in the book of Luke, he went and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And then he goes on to prophesy that a day will come when the temple will be torn down. And this prophecy came true about 40 years later. Jerusalem was conquered and they tore down the temple and threw every stone away. But, but I want you to see something. It said, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept. He wept. The the Greek word there is more like sobbed. It's it's a a loud, audible anguish. Why did he cry? Why did Jesus weep? It, It says because they didn't know the things that make for peace. See, Jesus's desire for us is to be at peace. Zeal family, we talked about that last week. We inherit a gift of peace, a peace that surpasses understanding, but they were not at peace and it broke his heart. Now, I, I wrote it like this in my notes. When it comes to Jesus on that day, I put, he was angry at people because they weren't for people and he was sad for people because they weren't for people. See, people were keeping people from God and he was angry at that because what's best for people is to get them to God. And then people were fighting amongst each other, Rome versus Israel. And they weren't at peace and they weren't for each other. And that made him sad. There are things that should make us angry. There are things that should make us sad as Christ followers. And ultimately, they are when people aren't for people. Because God told us, love him with everything in us and love people with everything in us. And then Jesus gave us the one commandment, love people as I have loved you. Lay down your lives for people, serve people. And that's the kind of king Jesus was. But but this day, this Palm Sunday, as the Bible calls it, a triumphal entry was a bit of a tragedy. I mean, Jesus gets up to the city and he cries his eyes out. Then he gets to the temple and he's angry. If you had a friend that in the morning was sobbing and crying, and in the evening was flipping over tables in the church, you would probably say your friends maybe losing it a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not trying to play at Jesus's emotions, but what I am trying to point out is Jesus was fully human. He felt what you and I feel sometimes anger and sadness, but he did it with a righteous heart. And so he went to the temple, got angry. He healed people and taught people. He cried over Jerusalem. And then to kind of Tarantino it, we started at the back end. Let's roll back to the beginning. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, it says this in the King James. It says, he said to his disciples, go into the village over against you, right across from us, and straight away ye shall find an ass or a donkey, an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Now, some of you didn't grow up in church and we don't speak King James, so I'm going to try the ESV translation for us. It reads, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus hit two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt wither. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Pause. So right here, it's a really funny story, part of the story that I have to stop and point out. Jesus, right before he goes into the triumphal entry, right before all the Palm Sunday celebrations start out, right before everything gets going, he looks at two of his disciples and there's a crowd following him because he had just performed the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. He had gone three years of ministry. Like there's probably thousands of people following him. And he grabs two of his followers, his disciples, and he says, Hey, go to the town next to us. You'll find a donkey tied up. Bring it to me. If anybody says anything, tell them the Lord needs it now. One of the best ways to learn and study the Bible is to put yourself in the character's shoes. Now, this wasn't a parable. This really happened. So suffice it to say, it's the equivalent of maybe your pastor coming to you today and saying, hey, um, you know, I need you to run down to the Shushan down in Kingston, or I need you to run over to Zealand, uh, you know, up in Holland, or hey, I need you to go a few blocks. You'll find a red Honda Civic. It'll be open. The keys are in it. Jump in, bring it here. I have need of it. And if the owner runs out, just tell him God needs it. I mean, to put it lightly, Jesus kind of asked them to, you know, commit grand theft auto or rather grand theft donkey. Um, he was kind of saying, Hey, there's a donkey over there and I need it. And if you're those disciples and you're like, what? And so you walk over there and sure enough, there's a donkey and a cult tied up. And you're like, Oh man, who's going to untie it. You got it. You know, they drew straws. I don't know. And one goes and he starts to untie it. And sure enough, the owner runs out and like, Hey, that's my donkey. And they're like, um, the Lord needs it. And the guy goes, okay. And they're just like, Oh, I can't believe that worked. And they, right. Here's, here's why I point that out. Imagine if you were the donkey owner, uh, uh, imagine if that was your ass, your ass set, uh, for lack of a better way to say it. I wonder how many of us, if somebody said, Hey, the Lord needs what you have today. Would we say whatever God wants, whatever he needs? Like, I don't know what was going on in that donkey owner's life. But suffice it to say, either God sent him an angel or a messenger or God spoke to him, or maybe he just loved God so much that when he heard that God needed one of his asses, one of his assets, he freely gave it. A great prayer for us to pray today, especially with what's going on in our world, is God, what asset do I have that you have need of today? And the Bible never says they brought the donkey back. The Bible never speaks of it again, but he gave it freely. What is God put in your hand today that he's been waiting to use for his kingdom and his glory? And all it takes for us to do is just surrender it. What's the asset that we can give to the God today? And and, and as funny as it sounds, I just got to stop and point out like, imagine if you're this donkey. You're this colt. Y'all are like, really, bro? You're going to pull a Shrek on us? No, but for real. Like, this donkey, the colt, had never been ridden his whole life. And all of a sudden, one day, he kind of gets stolen, brought... And all of a sudden, Jesus, the king of kings, the king of all eternity sits on his back and he rides in and human beings are putting their coats down before him and palm branches. And he's riding in on this triumphal entry signifying to Romans when a conquering general would come in after a battle and he was victorious, they would ride in on a donkey. And so Jesus was making a political statement here saying, yes, I am a king. Yes, I am bringing a victory. And yes, I am bringing peace but he was also making a theological statement because he was fulfilling a prophecy out of Zechariah that said the Messiah would ride in on a donkey. So you're this donkey and Jesus is crying like the donkey probably felt Jesus's tears on its back. And then you drop Jesus off at the temple and he's angry and he's flipping tables and then he's healing people. Like Jesus was all over the place, but the donkey carried him no matter what he was feeling exactly where he needed to go. I wonder today how many of us need to, do as the donkey did. I put that in here as one of my points, as as silly as it sounds, do like the donkey does. And and that's, that's ridiculous, but a lot of us have friends and family members that are really sad today, that are really confused, that are really angry. And what would it look like no matter what emotion they are feeling to just do whatever it takes to carry them where they need to be? to carry them where they need to go. And yes, the passage continues. Matthew 21, verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put on their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches, where we get the name Palm Sunday from, and trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Hosanna, Hosanna. They started shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna, king of Israel. Hosanna. And we sing that song today. If you've been around church, that word is in a lot of different songs. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna actually is defined as it means like high praise, but biblically it actually translates better to save us, save us. So here was this crowd saying, save us, King of Israel, save us, Son of David, save us. But on this day where Jesus was finally treated as the King, he was. He got angry at people because they weren't for people. He got sad thinking of people that weren't at peace with people. And then he was praised by people as a king that would free them from Rome. And this triumphal day was actually tragic because like Jesus said, they didn't have eyes to see who he really was. Jesus did not come to free them from Rome. He came to free them from a much greater enemy. Jesus did not come to free them from oppression of a government. Jesus did not come to free them from oppression of a virus or a sickness. Jesus did not come to free them and emancipate them from oppression of an economic downturn. Jesus came to free them and emancipate them from ultimately sin and death, our greatest enemies. To save. Save us rather from ourselves Jesus was not the king of Israel or the king of Rome he is the king of kings and so today we sing Hosanna today we say Hosanna save us not Wanting him to save us from any person, place, or thing. But rather we saying, Hosanna, you have saved us from sin and death. And because he has saved us, we can sing Hosanna. And because he has saved us from sin and death, we can look at any economic crisis. We can look at any pandemic. We can look at any situation and not be afraid and take heart and have courage and walk as more than conquerors and never be a victim, but rather victors because our king and the kingdom of God won the ultimate victory. We sing Hosanna because he has saved. We sing Hosanna because today, if you don't know him, he can save you. I mentioned earlier, one of the things that frustrated me a lot when I was a kid is when I wouldn't understand something. Specifically, I said when my grandmother would do needlepoint and I'd look up at her and it would just be all crazy chaos, tangles and fringes. I'd be like, what are you doing? And I'll never forget like that, like that actually happened. My grandmother would sit on the couch and and she'd be doing needlepoint. It, for those of us millennials or younger out there, need a point is like sewing with your hands. Take a little wood frame, put a piece of cloth over it, and you sew down into it. And, and I'll never forget, I would sit on the floor underneath my grandmother, and I would look up at her. And from the bottom up, it would just be all these tangles and fringes. And, and to be honest, I thought my, my grandmother was crazy. Like, I thought she had lost her mind. And, I, and I, one day, I finally looked up at her, and I was like, Grandma, what are you doing? And she said, oh, come here, Corey. Come sit on my lap. And I jumped up from the floor and I sat on the couch on the lap of my grandmother and she pointed at her needlepoint and from the top down I saw a beautiful picture that she was sewing intentionally and strategically and what I realized is what looks like chaos and craziness and feels like it doesn't make sense from the bottom up. If you can get another perspective from the top down all of a sudden you can see that there was a plan all along. I wonder for how many of us today, that's our reality. We look up at God amidst the crisis, amidst the economy, amidst all that we're facing. We go, God, I don't understand. Are you insane? Have you lost your mind? This doesn't make any sense. And God's saying to you today, right there in your living room, wherever you're watching, and he's saying, hey, come up here and sit on the king's lap. Sit on your daddy's lap on your father's lap and look down from my perspective. I know from the bottom up, it looks and feels crazy, but from the top down, you'll see that there's been a plan all along. I'm in control and from here, it's beautiful. Maybe today we can sing Hosanna, knowing he has a plan. He has saved us and no matter what we face we know we win in the end because jesus wasn't just king for a day he is the king and lord for eternity central overflow tlc and my zeal family i love you thank you for joining me today thank you for listening and ultimately thank you for making Jesus not king for a day, but our King, Lord, and Savior, who we sing Hosanna to for eternity. We'll see you soon.